Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Perceptive Podcast here on Game Wisdom, where we examine the art and science of games. We are a great cast for you this week. We're going to be catching up with Linden Lab, the creators of Second Life, who are currently celebrating their astonishing 15 years of the game being out and running for people to enjoy around the world. And joining me tonight, he is the CEO of the company. Please welcome to the podcast, Ebby Altberg. Hello. Great to be on the show. It's great to have you on, Ebby. We were just talking about this before the recording, but I believe uh, you were on like a few years ago. But when it comes to this kind of industry, it feels like a few years is like a few decades. Yeah, we, we all do too much, and there's too much in front of us to <laughs> keep up with what was behind us. But yep. yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. And it's definitely been an interesting time. And before we get into our discussion, I want once again say definitely congratulations on the success of Second Life and being around now for 15 years with a single game. Yeah, it's quite astonishing. Um, and we're very proud of it. And uh, what's extra cool is that it's it's not just extremely good for us uh, mm-hmm. with Second Life being a uh, uh, you know a profitable and, and strong product with such incredible longevity, but it's also extremely valuable to uh, our, our our customer base, our, mm-hmm. our residents in Second Life, uh, many of whom make a living yes. uh, doing what they do in Second Life. For sure. This past year, I was putting on a presentation about virtual worlds in honor of Ready Player One. I even referenced Second Life there as one of the few major MMOs still around. And of course, the work that you guys have done to cultivate this virtual community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most things are games. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't really refer to Second Life as a game, per se. I mean, they're people that create games in Second Life, but there's also a huge amount of stuff in Second Life that's not games. You know, there's art and music and uh, education and almost, I mean, the the things you do, that people do in Second Life is almost as diverse and varied as as the things we do in in the physical world. And so that's, that's what makes it so fascinating. Definitely. And again, the fact that it's still going strong and managed to survive the MMO crash that we'll talk about in a few minutes is definitely a testament to that long-term appeal. And as you said, Ebe, the fact that Second Life can't really be classified as just a video game, I think has really helped it stand out. Yeah. Um, I mean, for MMOs, you you have to develop a lot of content, mm-hmm. and you have to. It's it's very expensive to develop all that content, and you constantly have to create new levels and new things to engage people over time. And uh, we don't we don't create a whole lot of content. We do a little bit, but the, you know, <laughs> the vast majority, almost all of it, is created by users. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, for 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 fun, for entertainment, but also for business, people buying and selling. Uh, all kinds of content and services uh, on the platform, and that that uh, you know has created a a very lucrative ecosystem, not just for us, but also for a lot of our users. Mm-hmm. Yep, and by the fact that Second Life has all these extra elements to it beyond just, as you said, Abe, people can make games in it, but there's also a lot more in terms of the social and uh, user created content that I think has been a major 
point about it. I've spoken to uh, game economist Ramin Shokuzai, which I think I think you may know him. I think he said he may have done some work or he studied Second Life in the past. But we were talking about, again, just how big user-created content can be for the longevity of a title. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you see this in you know, with all kinds of social networks, whether it's Instagram or Facebook. I mean, it's all user-created content. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's the, the model we've, we've, you know, started out with and, and, and continue to do everything we can to enable people to create content, to share content, to monetize content and experiences and allow people to create communities, mm-hmm. uh, teams, uh, and, and create relationships. And, uh, uh, there's, you know, people from all over the world that are, you know, finding their best friends, their <laughs> people are finding, you know, their future spouse or, or a partner. And, uh, you know, so it's for a lot of people, it's, it's very liberating. Um, there's a lot of constraints in physical space, you know, geography or all kinds of other reasons why it's difficult or uh, impossible for people to get out and, and, and do the things they want to do. And, and uh, virtual worlds uh, enable a lot of people to do things they otherwise could not do. Mm-hmm, definitely. And when it comes to that appeal, the MMO or just like virtual games like that, the community aspect is such a critical role there. And I'm sure there have been documentaries and studies for Second Life. I've seen them for World Warcraft as well with regards to people being able to communicate when they just cannot do it in the physical world, whether due to travel or simply because of disabilities, unfortunately. Yeah, no, and, and we see that people that have, um, I would say, a greater need mm-hmm. uh, for virtual solutions, um, you know, uh, obviously uh, take, you know, take more effort into making Second Life work for them. Um, Second Life is not one of those things where you just hop in and start, you know, mm-hmm. punching the monkey to get scores <laughs> and, you know, and entertain yourself for a minute or two. It's a little more like the, the physical world that, you know, it takes time to find, you know, places to live, people to, to get to know people, to, to, you know, be part of a community or create a community or create a place that, mm-hmm. uh, that you are comfortable with. And, uh, but once you've done that, it's it's an extremely uh, sticky uh, you know uh, proposition that that you know it provides a huge amount of value. I mean, for some people, this is you know uh, not just a second life, but almost a primary life of, of opportunity to uh, collaborate, to create, to earn, to entertain, to. Uh, have a you know a social life yeah Mm -hmm. and there's definitely a lot that we can talk about tonight and for those of you listening to this we're going to try and schedule a cast maybe in the near future to talk more about user generated content in depth and especially with the program or the platform that you guys at linen lab are currently developing um if you'd like to mention that right now for anyone interested definitely feel free yeah, we're working on uh, on a new platform called Sansar. It's currently in beta, and it allows users to create uh, virtual experiences, um, 
you know, similar to Second Life, but also very different. Uh, but uh, with that product, you can uh, create and experience this content and socialize with other people on desktop as well as in VR equipment like uh, Oculus and, and the Vive. And so, um, you know, trying to understand what this new virtual reality medium means when it comes to user-created content and for people to have social experiences and interaction and be able to monetize that kind of content. Um, normally, for whether it's Second Life or Sansar, the, the, the threshold, the technical and financial threshold for you to be able to create uh, an immersive 3D experience where you can interact with other people and have social interaction and be able to monetize it is extremely high. Mm-hmm. You know, it's unfortunately something that mostly is, you know, only something that sort of gaming studios can actually execute on and, and deliver something. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to lower the bar of, of how technically sophisticated or how much budget you need to be able to create interesting content that you can share with the world and that you can uh, have social interaction within and Mm -hmm. hopefully you know if you want to make some good money from as well so Mm -hmm. that's that's what we're trying to do basically sort of democratize this medium so that more people can participate and and create uh and uh enjoy Mm -hmm. um, rather than just sort of playing you know, AAA studio stuff because, you know, and that's that's good too stuff too, but that's that's less personal in a way. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely a worthy goal to go after, Ebe. And one of the more fascinating things, and again, we'll probably save this for another cast, but I can't uh, not mention it here, is how much user-created content has really exploded over this past decade with the rise of stuff like Steam Workshop, with more people getting into modding and even a lot of smaller independent studios uh, having their start with making custom mods for video games. Yeah, I mean, you look, there are lots of cool platforms from Roblox to Minecraft mm-hmm. to, um, and, and also not just 3D, but think about what YouTube and Instagram and, and Twitter and all these platforms are ways for people to sort of share and communicate content. Uh, in ways that not long ago was was basically not possible at all, and mm-hmm. we're just focused on sort of the three D immersive immersive uh, types of media for people to create and share, and uh, it's a very complex problem, but we love it, and mm-hmm. you know we've clearly had lots of success with Second Life, and that's going to continue for a long, long time. And uh, Sansar is early on, but. We're starting to see some really interesting content and some really interesting communities starting to form. So, very exciting times. Definitely. And uh, since we last spoke, I've gone, like for myself, I've gone to YouTube with Game Wisdom and we now have over 3,000 subscribers now. And it's just like me talking about video games and trying to educate people about game design. But yeah, the. The communities and the channels are there for just a very wide berth in terms of expression. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, making it easy for people to uh, share their creativity uh, to a broad audience at, at a low cost is uh, always going to be uh, a uh, sort of super necessary uh, instrument uh, out there because we don't want to just have, you know, ex- you know, extremely, uh, you know, rich, you know, 
publishers or yeah. studios to be able to do this stuff. We we all want to participate. And in the physical space, we we have our identities we can play with. You know, what kind of your short hair, long hair, <laughs> green hair, no hair, what kind of clothes. You have your home. How do you furnish your home? Who do you invite into your home? You have your office or or school or park. And in virtual worlds, it's the same thing. You, you want to have – you know, places and experiences that are private to you. You want to have public experiences you can share with other people. And um, there's there's so many activities that you can do more effectively in, in virtual in, and in 3D space than in lots of other mediums, you know, including this phone call. Yep. I mean, I would, it would actually be more interesting to do in, in Second Life for Sansar where we can see each other, we can interact with each other, and we can – you know, have a shared experience rather than just conversation. And that's, uh, that's mm. really powerful. Definitely. I mean, with the stuff I do on YouTube, like we do live streams with developers as well. And it's just fascinating to have that three-way talk between myself, the guests, and even the audience watching. And I've seen these casts uh, live go from like an hour at minimum to almost pushing three hours because everybody is so engaged by the conversation. Absolutely. And, and that's where, you know, for some, you know, the, the time spent, you know, for, for engaged users on in Second Life and, and Sansar, um, you know, can be, you know, extreme durations for people to do things together, just like they are in physical space. You know, when you go over to someone's house for a party and maybe watch a movie or something, you know, those become multi-hour type of interactions as opposed to, you know, a quick email or a text message. So it's, it's you know, that's what, that's what immersion sort of brings to the table. Mm-hmm. But uh, bringing this back to Second Life and kind of how Linden Lab got started, for people listening to us right now who either don't know about Second Life or missed our original podcast, could you talk a little bit uh, briefly about kind of the history of the studio and how things began? Yeah, so it was, you know, started in the late, late, late 90s uh, by a cool guy named Philip Rosedale. Um, and um, uh, they were and went sort of public around 2003 with Second Life. Um, and when they introduced an economy where people could, you know, trade goods and services, uh, it, it sort of really took off. And uh, grew very, very rapidly in sort of, you know, 2006, Mm -hmm. 2007, 2008. And it was sort of front page news about this idea of this virtual world and virtual economy. You had lots of brands and, you know, in-world, you know, reporters from Reuters. And it was, you know, people kind of imagined it as sort of the the next Mm – you know, version of the internet, right? Where it would be the 3D web instead of, you know, just, you know, flat web pages. Um, it didn't become, you know, as big as replacing the internet <laughs> as we know it. Uh, but it, it added a tremendous amount of value to a lot of users. Mm. And uh, uh, since about 2009, so almost a decade now, um, it's been, you know, not growing. It's been a very, very slow decline. 
mm-hmm. low single digit decline year over year. Although now we're starting to see some growth back in the business again. We've done a lot of good work over the last few years to make it uh, more performant and better quality and easier to use. So, you know, m- m- much more to do. But, you know, after 15 years, you're, you're, some things are kind of set a little bit in how <laughs> they are. And it's hard to sort of do some, you know, significant surgery and completely changing the experience to uh, for people. But to kind of go back to your question, it is a platform where users can get access to to land if they want to, and then they can build whatever they want on that land. They can also create content for avatars. There's um, uh, also scripting, so you can create really complex functionality. Um, and then you can choose who has access to your land. You know, is it private for you and you and your friends, you and your coworkers, or or is it public access? Anyone can come in. And uh, there are lots of events taking place all the time, whether it's going to music venues and listen to live music being streamed in, or uh, dance clubs, uh, or people playing, you know, games with you know vampires running around biting each other, or uh, classrooms, you know, there's you know thousands and thousands of students taking classes in Second Life for all kinds of subject matter, from biology to languages. Um, I know nurses who have been trained to triage patients in Second Life, so simulations and training takes place in there. Um, so it's it's an extremely extremely um, wide range of subject matter and use cases that that um, Second Life is being used for. Uh, we, lo- we allow for, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of sort of flexibility uh, and creativity as to what people want to do. Uh, but we obviously also make sure that the things people do are legal and, uh, you know, reasonable from a, you know, a community point of view. But um, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of as like I was saying earlier, almost as complex uh, in the things people like to do uh, and the things people create uh, as, as the physical world we live in. So that's kind of what Second Life is. And, and um, last year alone, uh, users on the platform or residents, as they, we refer to them, uh, the residents in Second Life uh, redeemed uh, almost $70 million dollars. So a lot of people make their living creating content uh, or, or services or entertainment uh, in Second Life. And so it's, it's not just uh, a good for us. Like I said, it's also extremely valuable to a lot of our customers. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot to unpack there, especially about how much things have grown when it comes to Second Life. And we'll talk more about the virtual economy probably in the next five to ten minutes. But one thing I wanted to touch on that you just said, Ebe, is that one of the more profitable and one of the more popular time periods for Second Life was around 2006-2007, that era. As anyone who studies game design knows, the MMO, I guess a quote-unquote MMO gold rush was beginning to decline as we entered the back half of the last decade, with the vast majority of games either being outright terminated or being reconstituted as free-to-play games. But 
only like a small handful, I think I can only count them on one hand, of games managed to survive and thrive even to this day. And Second Life would certainly be one of those examples. I guess my question for you, Ebe, is in your opinion, what do you think has kind of made Second Life impervious to that to the uh, downfall of the MMO market of the last decade? Yeah, I don't know if we really, I mean, compare ourselves to the MMO market. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's very different to create uh, a complete experience, you know, content and everything, and you're creating some sort of game dynamic that you want all users to sort of go down the path of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's partly the strength and, and also some of the weakness of Second Life, mm-hmm. if you will, is that there there is no game. There is no sort of meta um, thing that users are asked to do on our behalf. You kind of get dropped off in there like you do in the physical world and you have to sort of find your way. Uh, and what is it that you want to do? Who do you want to meet? What are your interests? And sort of cr- make the product work for you as opposed to have the, you know, the product making you work for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it takes a little more effort for people to sort of find that value because it's not sort of the usual like, oh, if you collect, you know, these coins or if you, if you, if you, you know, get this score, then you, you progress or to another level mm-hmm. or another, you know, or status or something. This is more like, like life. Um, you have to, you know, you have to find your way and, and uh, you have lots of choices to make and sometimes choices make it more complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes simpler games are, are you know, easier to get mass appeal of than, than sort of uh, something more complex like Second Life. But then you also find Second Life actually delivering like real deep value to people. Right, mm-hmm. they they find uh, make connections with with people all ar- around the world, or they can make a living, or they can uh, teach, or they can uh, there as a musician you can be heard. So it's it's it has sort of more power, uh, and and sort of I think creates more social value than than most games. Uh, but you know that comes also with a bit of complexity because how do you explain to such a broad mm-hmm. To, to, to any one potential user, what all the possibilities are and how do you make sure that they discover the thing that's relevant to them or interesting to them, that, that becomes the challenge. Um, so I'm sure that, you know, some other games have, you know, a better conversion rate to get people in and through to the system because it, you know, the, the purpose is, is, is more focused and clear. Uh, but with second life, once, once you do find purpose in there, it's, it's, uh, I think the value is that much higher. And so um, it's kind of a trade-off, I guess, uh, that, that we made. And um, uh, and then it's that you have so many users creating so much content that a constant, constantly, it's constantly evolving. There's always something new at a rate. And so, you know, we talk about the amount of content users create. I mean, it's in the petabytes of, of, of user-created stuff. And, and the marketplace has, you know, millions of items uh, it's like five million virtual goods uh, created by users for sale in the marketplace and um, that you know, creates a huge amount of you know choice and opportunity for people to more easily create what they want to create because a lot of the things you want is is available and made by others mm-hmm. just like 
kind of in the physical world. I'm sure you, I'm <laughs> guessing you didn't build your the apartment or home <laughs> you live in, and and you didn't make any of the furniture or china or electronics that you have in your home. <laughs> but it's still your home, and so. Um, we have all those manufacturers, if you will, creating all those types of assets so that it's a lot easier for people. I mean, I see fascinating experiences. You go, my God, this creator is amazing. And then you start inspecting all the objects and you realize that, no, they've done a lot of shopping to put it all together. But they made something that was truly unique because of the sort of the combination of things, mm-hmm. right, that makes the place feel like it's it's their place and something they're proud of. Uh, and they – you know, without necessarily knowing how to, you know, uh, an advanced scripter or uh, an incredible modeler or texturer or whatever these unique skills you sort of ultimately need to create interesting content. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the marketplace is, is a, a big piece of, of the success for us and our users. Um, and then allowing people to, you know, form groups, uh, you know, guilds or communities um, and uh, having people be able to collaborate, people can create together, uh, and you find that there's always lots of different skills, just like a company needs, you know, you have engineers and product people and marketing people and business development and community managers, and, you know, even in the in the virtual world, you, you sort of need, you know, a band that comes together to sort of create something together, and that that's all there for Second Life users to sort of not have to be an expert at everything, but be able to be part of a team or a, mm-hmm. or a group that can, you know, create things uh, together. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And what you just said there, Abby, about kind of that feeling of ownership that the consumer gets when they buy a good, there's also that same sense, I think, for the creators themselves, the craftsmen who spend the time and dedication to make something unique. And we've seen in the real world, definitely, many people who have risen up their ranks thanks to be able to put out unique and amazing goods – and there's only that feeling of satisfaction knowing that something that you've made is being used and enjoyed by hundreds or even thousands upon thousands of people. Absolutely. You know, um, and that's, you know, you can reach, you know, a, a, a decent sized audience. I mean, Second Life is a, <laughs> it's like a decent sized city um, with all the activities going on. So there's, there's a lot of commerce going on. And, you know, the GDP is, you know, about, you know, $500 million USD mm-hmm. in inside of Second Life. And, you know, um, so, and, you know, almost 70 million, like I said, of that gets, you know, cashed out per, per year. So it's, um, um, yeah, that, that creates a lot of opportunity. And uh, that's, that's obviously very interesting to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, one question that I have, and, uh, this may be too big, I think, but I just I'm curious about. I'm sure people who are listening are as well. You said a few minutes ago that when it comes to creating custom content in Second Life, that you have obviously the option. You have a pro- powerful scripting editor for people who won't get in that far. But how does things work like at the basic level? Like if someone with no programming wants to jump into Second Life. How do like they like start saying I'm making who knows clothing, furniture, whatever? 
Yeah, it, it really depends on what you want to get involved with. Uh, I mean, you can create content directly in Second Life. Um, so you can start putting things together with, you know, primitive shapes and you can start to put textures on things and soon you have a, a building or something and then you you might go in the marketplace and, you know, buy some cool trees from the tree guy and, you know, you have that then in your inventory and then you put, drag that into your experience to suddenly start building a yard and, and, and soon you, you have a, you know, a place and then it sort of evolves from there. And then you obviously have specialists. You have people that specialize in avatar parts like hands and feet or hair or attachments like hats and glasses and uh, watches or jewelry. Or And so it's, it's like I said, it almost becomes as specialized as, as it is in the, in the physical world. You have jewelers and you have people that make hats and you have people that make shoes. And, and so you have lots of brands being formed around, you know, highly specific vertical things. Um, and you have generalists that can do uh, lots of things. Uh, you have people that are maybe focused more on, you know, audio aspect of experiences. What, how do things sound like? So it's a lot of different skill sets. It's, 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 you know, some people kind of learn a little bit of everything so they can create complete experiences by themselves and, uh, and, 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 you know, make that into a business or, or fun entertainment. And sometimes you see people forming groups and teams because they need a diverse skill set to, to create things together. So, um, it's, it's, you can, you can get going without too many skills. And there's a lot of people that have, started actually their their 3d content uh careers inside of second life and that's kind of how they know how to make things that they didn't necessarily learn sort of the traditional way of you know mesh modeling and mm -hmm. tools like maya and stuff like that you can import those things too into second life using those third-party tools uh but you don't really require any third-party tools if you don't want to you can just do everything directly in second life mm -hmm. um so, yeah, there's tools for building, tools for scripting, uh, tools for community. Uh, you know, we give you all the tools to be able to create and share. Mm -hmm. And if you want to monetize, uh, you know, 3D experiences and content. Mm -hmm. All right. And again, it definitely sounds completely different from any other game that I've played, and I'm sure for people listening right now have played as well. And as we talked about, that I think has been a major part of how Second Life has managed to stand out from the rest of the MMO market. And with that said, continuing with this uh, discussion or this part about kind of the economics and the custom created content or user created content, this next question I know is probably way too big for just like a small section. But one thing that I'm curious about regarding, as you said, the fact that people can actually essentially pay out uh, or buy out from Second Life by taking the money they've earned and bringing it to the real world. What was kind of like, like, what did you have to do? Or what did Linden Lab have to do to set that up from like a legal or just logistics standpoint? Yeah. Well, as startups should do, you know, they didn't necessarily think it all through in the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, obviously rules and regulations around compliance have obviously evolved over time as well. Um, 
and we were one of the you know first sort of virtual economies of you know any meaning full scale uh, and you know to the degree that people can actually cash out was uh, quite of a unique mm-hmm. uh, value proposition that not many others had ever done before so yeah what you do is you can use you know your fiat currency your US dollar or whatever with your credit card to buy linden dollars as we call them which is the the uh, you know the tokens uh, uh, used inside of second life that you you know you know you transact with uh, you actually buy and sell those on an exchange um, so it's users buying and selling linden dollars to each other and so it's a floating exchange uh, it's very stable uh, because of the scale of the market and you know we you know sort of have to operate like like the feds and you know every now and then you know just make sure that uh, things are smooth uh, and so we have people that sort of watch the exchange and make sure that you know there are no major crazy movements in it so that people feel comfortable with the exchange rate being stable over time and um uh, then once you're in Second Life, you can you can buy and sell and you can earn. And if you accumulate lots of linden dollars over time, and you and you want to not just spend those in Second Life, uh, you can then convert those to a, a fiat wallet. So you kind of have a linden dollar wallet and a, a fiat wallet, if you will. And so you can convert your linden dollars to your you know US dollars if you will and then you can take an additional step from there if you want to which is to ask to actually get that money out and and uh and you know redemption basically to and and that's what uh, was done to the tune of uh, almost 70 million dollars last year mm. there's obviously a lot of compliance associated with this yeah uh when money come in one end and it moves around and it goes out the other end you have to make sure there's no money laundering or suspicious activity or that people are engaging in illegal transactions you know like gambling or stuff like that so we have uh you know tools and procedures in place to do all that and we also are um registered uh, money transmitter uh in uh, every state in the u.s uh, and so we comply with, you know, all of those laws and regulations to make sure that this is uh, safe, legal, and compliant in in all ways possible. And that's that's um, something that we've obviously learned how to do, and it's a very unique uh, aspect of of what we have there. It's a really unique asset in of itself. And um, you know, that's maybe for another show as well. Is that all that compliance effort and to deal with all this money going in and out is actually, you know, situated in, in a wholly owned entity called Tilia. And um, uh, maybe we'll talk about that someday because <laughs> that's kind of a fascinating yeah. little piece in and of itself. For sure. And you know, I would definitely be up for something like that because – uh, one of the things I've learned from doing these podcasts with so many developers is that there is a lot that can go into game development, even just standard game development, that most consumers will never even realize. And I can tell, I can tell you for sure, Abe, that I have no idea what that process is when it comes to uh, the whole transferring of money from virtual to real life and back and vice forward. So that would certainly make for an interesting cast at some point in the future. Yeah. 
Definitely. Now, uh, to do a quick time check, we are approaching the 40-minute mark now. So I figure we'll spend maybe another, I would say maybe like 15, 15, 20 minutes tops. I think that should probably take us to the end, if that works for you. Yeah. All right. So uh, one more question regarding kind of the legacy of Second Life, and then we'll talk more about what you guys are up to right now in honor of the 15-year celebration. So... Um, one of, again, I've spoken to Ramin several times, and we're both, uh, the old school MMO. Like, I got in, like, around, like, 19, like, probably, like, either, like, 99, early thousands. I think he was a little bit earlier than that. And we kind of talked about how a lot of MMOs are really set up, again, for that community aspect. Which, as we've said, has been a major driving force behind Second Life success. And what we saw a lot of, kind of, the, almost first or second generation MMOs were trying to achieve. And obviously, since then and the crash of the market, MMOs, at least from the AAA or big budget side, have certainly seemed to downplay that kind of massive world and community model that we saw burgeoning during the early thousands. And my question for you is, Considering like how much impact Second Life has had in terms of virtual goods and virtual communities, I guess in your opinion, why do you think we really haven't seen anyone else try and go with that model or try and be a competitor or a direct competitor to Second Life? Well, there's definitely been people who have tried, mm-hmm. you know, so there's not lack of trying. Um, but it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, Second Life might have had an advantage of doing something that it was first to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, think back to 2003 when, when it started and, you know, through like, you know, the, you know, incredible growth of, you know, through 2008 or 2009 or so, um, you didn't, you know, social networks, you know, weren't really cranking by then. Uh, mobile wasn't really cranking by then, mm-hmm. you know, so there was a, kind of a, an opportunity to come out with something like this that uh, stood out a lot more than it probably would do today because it's, you know, so many more options for people to communicate and collaborate and share and create on the internet in general today than it was back then. Um, and uh, um, so, yeah, there's been competitors. Uh, and you're also starting to see other platforms, whether it's Minecraft or Roblox and, you know, other products trying to sort of create these platforms where users can create and also start to monetize what they create. Um, I don't know that anyone has, you know, provided a platform that creates, I would say, as diverse uh, of a community, you know, whether it's culturally or um, subject matter, etc. Uh, most of them are either more like all about games or all about, you know, certain things. Whereas we we have an incredible diversity, um, and uh, I think it's easier to create something that is more specific and targeted, mm-hmm. uh, and where most people sort of do something very similar. Uh, whereas Second Life is, you know, you can meet th- different people you know, in Second Life that that <laughs> do completely different things that can barely relate to each other as to what other people do, whether it's in the creative process or what types of communities they have or what subject matter they participate in or do. Um, 
And that's kind of, you know, makes it harder to describe because it's not just one thing. It's, it's, it's almost anything. Um, so, uh, then finding people that will understand that and understand how it could be of value to them, it's, it's harder, harder to sort of, you know, pinpoint, like, how could this be relevant to you? Well, that depends on what you want to do and what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to me just saying, here's the game, here's what you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. and here's what everybody's doing, and that's it, you know? Um, and so uh, maybe some haven't tried to do something as as broad and diverse as what Second Life has attempted to do. Um, and... Uh, you know, some some of it is probably luck, like with everything. You know, you get a few ingredients right. You know, the degree of freedom or the economic model or the ease of tools to use to create or ease of creating community. I mean, there are lots of little things that have to sort of come together to sort of create sort of that magic that makes a product, you know, successful and, and have legs, you know, over time. So, um I don't know if it's any one thing, but I know what we're doing is really difficult. So there's certainly a high barrier of entry for anyone to just sort of Mm -hmm. (laughs) suddenly just pop up out of nowhere and try and do what we do. Um, Also, creating a platform like this where people have expectations of it, it never breaking, right? If if you create something uh, and I buy that from you and I use that – and then there's a new update to the platform and the thing I bought suddenly doesn't work. You know, imagine that, you know, Earth 2.0 <laughs> shipped and suddenly your car wouldn't drive or your TV wouldn't turn on, right? Or your pants wouldn't fit. Like you'd be pissed, right? Yes. So making sure that all this content that people constantly create – and there's no way we can test all this content. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't go into everything. Thing and try everything to make sure nothing suddenly doesn't break. So forever backwards compatible as you're at the same time evolving and creating new capabilities is a really complex problem. And, you know, which is why we're building our own engines because, you know, if you take sort of an off-the-shelf engine on the market that's out there, which clearly gets you you know, a huge amount of cool functionality. Uh, but if you're trying to create something that has sort of forever life and and nothing ever breaks, then, you know, you have to sort of spend, you know, pay a lot of attention to the technologies that make that possible. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of a really unique aspect of what, what we deal with here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that creates trust. That creates, you know, a, a market that people believe in. It's 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 okay to buy things because you know that it's going to keep working. Mm-hmm. You know, occasionally we might make a mistake. You know, there's been some crazy stories. Like one day we had to, in Second Life many years ago, um, take a new version of Havoc physics engine. And some physics just slightly changed behavior. And there was a breedables market. A breedables means that some users created uh, a, a marketplace where you can buy, you know, pets, you know, horses or dogs or cat, you know. And, you know, the business model might be that you need to, you know, subscribe to food to feed these pets. And one day the horses, because physics changes, couldn't, you know, get to the food. So horses started to tar- tar- starve to death. Mm-hmm. Right. And so <laughs> that 
ecosystem that was built inside of Second Life for people to, you know, trade in 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 breedables and 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 that market then you know obviously freaked out you know both buyers and sellers and so we want to have to do <laughs> rush in there and make sure that things keep working and when you're 100 control of all the content yourself and you can do a very synchronized release over time where the content and the technology go hand in hand mm-hmm. that that you know, is obviously easier to make sure that everything works as it should. Uh, but it also then comes with all the cost of having to create all that content. Yes. So that's kind of where we let the users create the content, but now we have to deal with the fact that users create the content and they don't necessarily always know how to create the most efficient content or the, you know, the best way to script things or the thing. So we have to have a huge amount of tolerance in how some crazy content uh, can still work. And you have to deal with the sort of compatibility of that stuff for, for forever, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's a you know fascinating challenge that you know we've we obviously deal with, and you know most others don't. Mm-hmm. And for sure about that, Abe, and that is a very big point about the idea or the concept of games as a service. The whole philosophy that you're not just releasing a game for six months or a year, but thinking about how a game can survive and thrive for five, ten, fifteen, even more years than that. And as you said, for a lot of studios, and even just for a lot of gamers and consumers in general, they're not really thinking about these games being around for a decade plus. And... If we had the time, we could easily segue into talking about game preservation. But if we start doing that, that will be like another 40 <laughs> minutes to an hour easily. <laughs> <laughs> Next, some other time. Then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, bringing this back to Second Life, especially with the 15-year anniversary, um, I want to touch on what you just said about keeping Second Life going and growing. Because this is another very interesting part about developing a game, again, for being more than just a short term. And with Second Life now being 15 years old, and again, I'm sure this question is probably way too big again to detail about, but what has Linden Lab done to keep it modern or keep it from, you know, falling backwards or, or losing some of its appeal or luster over the years? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously always new features and capabilities for creators to be able to create more interesting content. Um, and so, you know, this year we're working on things that allow people to animate animate uh, mesh objects, uh, being able to put, you know, bakes on mesh. You can do tattoos and stuff like that on avatars. So you always want to do things that, you know, enable creators to create new interesting content that is interesting for other people to to consume. You know, years ago we, you know, released the ability to do mesh bodies for avatars. So there's now a very large industry in mesh heads that have, you know, beautiful head and hair and eyes and lips and that you can do all kinds of interesting things with. There's a market for animations. So we always want to, like, provide creators with you know, new tools and capabilities to create new and interesting content that keeps everything fresh and interesting. Um, we also obviously spend a lot of effort on sort of performance and and mm-hmm. and, uh, and quality. Uh, you know, something of this size, there's, you know, if, if you don't tend to things, you, you sort of have, you know, rot 
<laughs> so you constantly have to like upgrade systems and platforms and operating systems and infrastructure. So we're putting a huge effort right now because Second Life runs today in a proprietary grid in a, in a co-location facility where all the servers are sort of our own, you know, homemade sort of pre-cloud cloud, if you will. And, um, you know, we're now doing a big investment to go to like, you know, public cloud, like, you know, AWS or something like that. And uh, to, so that we don't have to do the capital cost of buying and maintaining these servers. And we can do sort of some interesting uh, capabilities taking advantage of, you know, geographic distribution or on demand, you know, spinning up and taking down servers to create for a more efficient sort of operational infrastructure. So that's a big investment that will create some interesting business opportunities as well. Um, we also have to do a lot of work to try and make sure that the economy is healthy. Um, Second Life has our revenue model is quite dependent on land. Mm-hmm. Land is actually, you know, a simulator, which is actually a server running the simulator, which is represented as land that you can build things on. And so we're kind of in the hosting business, right? Mm-hmm. You pay us to have this simulator running and um, it's ever on, you know, all simulators run 24 seven. So there's like, you know, you know, constant persistence of everything that you do, um, which means that servers that have no activity on it still is, you know, occupying CPUs and GPUs. You know, that's not necessarily the most efficient utilization. So that, you know, has cost associated with it that, you know, people have to pay for. Um, but so we have fairly high cost of, I would say, real estate. <laughs> and then we have this massive GDP and all these transactions that we don't tax at a very high level. So we basically have high real estate taxes and very low consumption tax. And that actually creates some weird friction. I mean, it basically costs quite a bit, a bit of money to own, you know, uh, a piece of land that you can have content on. Hmm. And uh, so that's kind of a barrier of entry or a barrier of ownership that you have to pay this hosting fee. And so one thing we're, we're doing in steps over time is to lower the land cost and finding other fees in transaction fees, you know, the redemption fees uh, or subscription models that try and sort of even out the market a little bit to get a better balance between, I would say, real estate and, 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 uh, and the GDP. Mm. So that's, that's kind of stuff we, we do over t- uh, and, and manage over time. Um, you know, constant to try and find value for, for premium members to get more value. Um, and uh, also a lot of maintenance because a lot, of lo- lot, a lot of the land is also operated and run by us. So you have sort of <laughs> land development of, you know, information hubs and starting points and meeting places uh, and also homes that people can rent from us. So you always want to refresh the content that that we build for for people to uh, to 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 enjoy. Um, we also do uh, games. There are some games that are grid wide um, to sort of give people ideas of what's possible uh, to sort of showcase some of the new functionality and capabilities and um, kind of lead the way a little bit on what's possible on the platform. Mm. Um, 
And, uh, you know, we also want to continue to improve the marketplace so it's easier to sell content, to find content, to buy content. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it never ends. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's we, we, we can go on forever <laughs> of, of, you know, constantly enhancing the platform. But, you know, what everybody should know is that even though it's 15 years old, and yes, we're working on this other new platform called Sansar, Second Life has a very dedicated team specifically focused on Second Life. We're investing, we're, we're, we're planning for growth and, uh, you know, to make the product better. Than, and, and this Second Life product is better than it's ever been today. It's not in some sort of, um, you know, pure maintenance mode at all. Mm-hmm. We are investing and, and making improvements all the time. And uh, it's also quite a complex process yeah. to actually roll, roll out these changes to make sure that you don't mess up the economy or mess up things that is, are not necessarily obvious when you can't do a complete end-to-end test of everything in your own lab. You have to sort of put it out there and see how it functions. So having, you know, beta grids that people can try things and, you know, we can do tests of how do people that work, you know, operate on the new version versus the old version, how, what's their crash rate or what's their, mm-hmm. um, you know, how's their content working or etc. cetera, uh, before you sort of roll everything out grid-wide. So mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah, it's quite a, it's quite a thing to run an economy of, of this scale and complexity and uh, trying to move fast, but also make sure we don't, mm-hmm. you know, just mess things up for us. But if we make mistakes, we, you know, we can ruin businesses and people's livelihood. And, you know, that mm-hmm. makes you sort of pay attention. Yes, it does. <laughs> and uh, so many questions here. I'm trying to resist asking you Ed, because <laughs> I know we're approaching the hour. But uh, one thing that I want to touch on, I want to elaborate on, especially for people listening as we said, Second Life is obviously a digital game. You've brought up a lot of topics regarding the real estate and the land ownership. Has has Linden Lab like actually like added in new land in Second Life, or is there a actual like literal like hard stop or just a set value or set amount of land within the digital space? Uh, we can uh, we can add land as we wish. Mm-hmm. Um, so and people can buy you know to have private islands <laughs> and. Uh, you know, we, we will just, we will just grow with demand. Um, and so there's kind of two different beasts inside of Second Life at the same time. It's, it's sort of private estates and land. And then there's mainland. Mainland is like a huge contiguous landmass that is, is, um, uh, a connection of, of many, many, many simulators sort of where you can actually walk. Um, you can actually walk from one across boundaries of simulators, right? Which mm-hmm. is really like walking from one server to another, which is like a really technically complex yeah. problem in of itself. And um, especially when people want to sail and fly across <laughs> these boundaries and there might be different permissions for all kinds of objects that you have on, on the plane that may or may not fit the permissions of the place you're flying into and so it it's it's a very uh interesting problem space um but um and uh we just lower the cost of you know uh land uh, on mainland uh, by 10 percent, and gave people you know twice the allotted uh, amount of land for that and uh generated quite quite a quite a spike in in people sort of buying and so there's 
you know, people that are sophisticated inside of Second Life sort of, you know, know where they want to live and who, what neighbors they want and what the value of land is because it's just like the physical world that, you know, a square foot is not a square foot is not a square foot. It all depends on location, location, mm-hmm. location. So, um, and uh, some of that we benefit from, uh, but also there's a huge aftermarket for people uh, renting a lot of land from us or simulators. And there's sort of a secondary market for them then renting out smaller plots uh, to uh, people on that land. So there are people basically doing arbitrage of, of buying land from us and then subdividing that into subdivisions if you will and then renting out those plots and and making a profit from it that way so there's there's land business there's a fashion business there's a you know content business there's a you know lots of different types of business models going on all at once Mm. and again it sounds fascinating i know it's more than what we could actually talk about in an hour (laughs) and I think with that, I have a few just final questions for you, Abby, in honor of the 15-year anniversary, and then we will begin to wrap it up for our cast. But uh, to start off with, or I guess to begin to wrap up for the section, what uh, again, with Second Life celebrating its 15-year anniversary, do you guys have anything planned? Is there anything big going on either now or in the future for Second Life? Well, they Obviously, there will be a lot of partying going on this year in Second Life. So there will be events and uh, there will be events that we are, you know, some of them we're doing in coordination with the communities in Second Life. Um, Some things will be some surprises from us. Uh, You know, also, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of things for you know, the Lindens working here to participate in interesting events, you know, town halls and meetings. And um, and we also have some, you know, interesting features and functionality that we're working on to, you know, make it a, a really exciting year for everybody. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a party year. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Once again, congratulations on that. And doing a quick time check, we are about to hit the hour. So I know you have to get going in the next few minutes. So my final question for you for tonight then is do you have – is there anything that we didn't touch on when it came when it comes to Second Life, the 15-year anniversary, or just anything in general that you would like to bring up now, Evie? Um, there's probably yeah. hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of things we could, you know, that I have forgotten or, or we, we could discuss, uh, over time. Well, the, the general thing I want people to know is that it's still, uh, the, the, the largest free, uh, sort of really open, uh, virtual world in existence. Uh, there is no other virtual world that has sort of the, the diversity and the uh, like real deep value to users uh, as Second Life does. I mean, and there are lots of incredibly entertaining products that have more users and make more money. When, but when it comes to relic really impacting people's lives and the quality of their lives, I think Second Life is is, is second to none. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be. You know, complicated, and it might look a little aged, but you know, take a little bit of time to get in there and and find that community, find some subject matter, whether you want to create and earn or 
or socialize and 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 uh, have you know a, a more interesting diverse life um, there's a ton of things that uh, second life has to offer and so take the time to to find those things and uh, I hope that it it, it uh, brings you as much value as it has to you know the hundreds of thousands of users that 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 use it as we speak you know I, I mean we we get up to like you know 55,000 concurrent users that are doing all these things um, and um, it's it's just amazing to to travel around and just see the, the incredible creativity and uh, uh, how impactful it is to, to people's lives. I mean, it's, you know, for me personally, it's just incredibly motivating to just constantly hear stories about how this has, like, made people's lives so much better for so many different reasons. And uh, that's, that's just incredibly uh, satisfying to, to be able to, you know, provide that empowerment to, to people. Mm-hmm. And again, there is still so much we could talk about. And I'm sure if you are free in the future, I we can certainly have you back on for just any one of the topics I think we brought up could probably fill its own podcast. Yeah, there's probably just, you know, sub-verticals yes. in, inside of Second Life that could, you know, take, take up an hour each uh, of discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Lots, lots, lots of interesting subject matter, and and a lot of people that have studied it, and continue to study it, and continue to use it as a tool to better understand a huge range of subject matter, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, there, there's there's so many fascinating people in Second Life, and it's it's for me it's been just an incredible joy to get to know so many of these people, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, uh, if it wasn't for our time limit for tonight, we could probably just sit here and keep talking. But I'm sure you have to get back to things at Linden Lab. And um, again, I'm sure we will talk again in the future. That that sounds great. Uh, and thank you. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, no problem. You as well, Ebe. So to wrap things up for the evening – are there any, besides obviously the main site, are there any other places uh, regarding either Linen Lab or playing Second Life that you would like to mention for people interested in learning more? Yeah, go to secondlife.com, hop in, or go to sansar.com and hop in and, uh, you know, pick the one that you want or both and uh, enjoy. All right. Well, with that said, we are going to wrap things up for this week's podcast. I thank everyone for tuning in. If you like support Game Wisdom and what I do, there are several options available. We have our Discord channel now open to everybody at the basic tier. You'll find a link to that on the thank you page. You can find me on Twitter at GWBicer for my thoughts and discussions throughout the day. Check out the Game Wisdom YouTube channel for daily discussions on game design and developer live casts. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash GWBicer. Your support can help us to continue growing and get access to some nifty goals and rewards as well. But that's it from me. 
And again, Ebe, thank you so much for coming on. The best of luck with the 15-year celebration of Second Life. And again, I am sure we will talk again more in the future. Cheers. Thank you. Not a problem. So, once again, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check back for another discussion next week on Game Wisdom, where we examine the art and science of game design. Until then, folks, have a great night.